episode 25, Joe, quarter way to 100. And uh, what a show we got. Tim Kirchin, who was on our first episode. Had to do it. Back with us for 25. Maybe hoping we can get him for 50. That's and, it. We uh, got to keep that. We got to keep that going. going. Every, yeah, every, a, 20, every 25th landmark episode, we got to get Timmy on. <laughs> that would be a pretty good guest to keep having on. He was, yeah, kind enough to join us and give us a lot of baseball thoughts. When we got him on, I mean, a huge week because uh, Lily Ang from the Marlins became GM. And then you had Theo Epstein step down as president. And we obviously talked to him about the Dodgers and some other stuff. So that's coming up in a little bit. But we had the Masters this past weekend. You liked Rom. I liked Kepka. We were kind of on the right track of like the best players in the world. Yeah. But when Dustin Johnson is going like he was this past weekend, can't he, stop him. You can't Look, beat him. We, we were like you, like you said, we were on the right track for the first time in major history going into Saturday. One, two, and three in the world were one, two, and three on on the leaderboard. leaderboard yeah. Never happened before. So we were on the right track with that. Tell you what, my Rob thing was looking good until he just butchered that hole on man. Saturday, man. I <laughs> he he played that hole like probably you and I would play a hole. I mean, he set himself up with a perfect drive. He was he pulled out the wood. He was going for the green in two to have a chance at eagle, and then he just hit the top of that thing. It never got more than two feet off the ground. Ended up in the pine straw. From the pine straw, he hit a tree. It went left into a bush. Took a penalty. Brutal, brutal. And then from that point on, it was just he had no shot. But I was at least in it until midday Saturday. Yeah. And I just I watched the Masters and I just remember how good the back nine is that it got. Oh God, yeah. The the stretch when you got the Amen corner. I mean, even 10 is a tough hole, but eleven and then the par three twelfth, the par five thirteenth, par five fifteenth, sixteenth. I didn't like on 16 that Sunday wasn't that traditional location where the ball funnels down. Yeah. They had it up on that ridge. I don't know if it was because there weren't fans. There were a couple interesting hole locations. But look, DJ is the most is the best player of the last decade. Obviously, Tiger with his issues this past decade hasn't been himself, but DJ's won every year that he's been on tour. And you like seeing a lot like Kershaw for the MLB to win the World Series. See a guy like that who's won everything to win at the highest level and win the World Series. Of course. It was good to see DJ to win the Masters. He now has a U.S. Open and a Masters under his belt. And uh, he'll be the favorite most likely heading in in April. Again, the value on him because of DeChambeau and all the hype he was, was getting. Great. He got some good value on and DJ. And I was just going to transition to that, that DeChambeau – Proved exactly what we were talking about last week. You cannot just mash this course. Yeah. On the first day, uh, he, he averaged like 340 or something like that from the tee. And they showed the stat. Like, you had guys who were um, – Larry Mize, he averaged right. 100 like yards. <laughs> it, was, it was 100 yards fewer per drive, and they shot the same score. It's not a course where you can do that. Kudos to him. He was able to do it at the U.S. Open, and he'll be able to do it at a lot of courses that play like that. You can't do it at Augusta. And I think maybe he's got a better shot in April now that he knows how this course played to the way he plays. uh, He'll have a better shot in April, but it just – it was not going to work. And and like I said – like we said last week, like I was specifically saying, for you to go into it questioning whether you're going to go for that 48-inch driver or use a different one, you can't have that question – 
going into it. It's almost like the cliche, like if you're if you're an athlete thinking about retirement, you probably should. Well, if you're going into this one and you're thinking about you're even thinking about which tools you want to use for the masters, you're probably not going to do so well. That's got to be something, you know, something that you've been working on, something that you are set in stone. You know what you're doing. You can't have that question mark. And it, it proved. I mean, he he did not look himself. It was funny, like every now and then they on Saturday and Sunday just go cut to a clip of him every now and then to remind you like, Oh, Hey, the Shambo's still on the course. He barely made the cut and hasn't right. been doing anything good, but uh, tigers 10 though. That was astonishing. You that can talk about Rom looking like us. Tiger <laughs> Mortel looked like us on 12. Hey, better, better this year on 12 than last year to do no that. No <laughs> question. I know. Don't you think Finau, Kepka and Poulter are like, yeah. have done this last year. Um, <laughs> No, but uh, yeah, and then after he shot that ten, he like birdied four of his last four in a row. Goal, and he he went, had never done that before. He had right. never birdied the last four of the back nine in any round in history. So if he wouldn't have, if he would have parred that hole, okay, if he would have parred that hole, he would have finished top ten. He would have finished in the top ten if he would have parred that hole. I know, and and look, I you asked me if I like Tiger better, if I like Phil. Phil was in it too, and then he, he kind of made a mess over the weekend. So I'll see how it matters. It always remember does. last week. I said I I said I I'm not picking Tiger to do well now, but I think Tiger is going to be my pick in April. We'll see how this goes because, like I said, he needed to get that confidence. He hasn't been playing well. He hasn't been playing much. He has Augusta, his favorite place. Get that confidence up again. The final scorecard didn't look so great. But again, like I said, he he cards even he, even if he cards a double on twelve, he finishes in the top fifteen. So he's got that in his mind. He's got a few months now to get back into it. I think come April, uh, I think he'll be he'll be ready to boogie and have and have a decent shot at it. Last thing I'll say about the Masters before we move on to the NBA draft, this was by far the sporting event where I miss fans the most. I mean. Yes. The, you know, golf tournaments, obviously, when they make a good shot and they make a birdie, people clap. But at the Masters and you heard players talk about it and all the guys on TV, there are roars that reverberate throughout the course. And guys know who did what, what they made and all that stuff. And you just got to Sunday on the back nine and it was just silence. And I'm just watching there and I'm like, it's the Masters. But, man, to not have people cheering, it, it definitely took the steam out of things. Didn't they already say too that it's not looking like they're going to have people in April? Or did they yeah, all? Not, I, don't think they, I don't know if they confirmed it, out. but it's not looking good. So yeah, 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 yeah. it sucks. Um, so, but yeah, Dustin Johnson wins the Masters, and it'll be back in April. NBA draft Joe was last night. Anthony Edwards goes one to Minnesota. James Wiseman two to the Warriors, and then Lamelo Ball three to the Hornets. But maybe the biggest news was outside of the draft, which was confirmed today that Clay Thompson tore his Achilles on his other leg. He'll be out for the season. I mean, I just plays one of my favorite players. There's no other way to put it besides it it sucks. That's it. It does. (laughs) That's the only way to put it. It does suck. And you feel for him. And, you know, the Warriors were kind of taking last year off. Guys were injured. They lost, um, you know, they lost KD, obviously, to Brooklyn. And and they're just – we're waiting for this year. They got Wiseman, who everybody thought they would get, and it completed their starting lineup with Draymond, Wiggins, Steph, and Clay. And then this injury and Clay's happened gone. to Clay. Look, they still got uh, enough with with what they've got. They've still got enough to probably give it a run as a seven or an eight seed, I think. But the hopes of the Warriors dynasty resuming, I think, obviously, are gone now, unless they pull a big trade out of nowhere. I mean. People have tossed around. I don't know if it's jokingly or seriously, but like 
maybe they throw their name in the James Harden ring now and kick the tires on that to pair with Steph. But if you do that, you're giving up Wiseman and future picks. And is that worth it? I don't know. Um, will it work with Harden, Clay, and Steph when Clay does come back next year? I mean, there's a lot of a lot of moving parts for them to figure out. I think at this point, they they're better off to stay in status quo and figuring things out more next year. Um, look, you don't want to look at it like this, but God forbid Curry gets hurt again this year. It could be right back in this position at another top five pick. And now you're just kind of starting to stack chips for the longevity of the franchise. Mm -hmm. So I think they're better off staying status quo, but there's so much to talk about. I'm glad we could finally talk about college basketball again. PJ, college basketball starts next week. (laughs) It starts next week. I know it does. We'll we'll talk more about the specifics of contenders and whatnot next week once we have a, a clear picture of, I mean, still the, the opening week schedule still shuffling around who's coming out of this tournament into that one. So once we get that more finalized, we'll talk about that more next week. But in terms of the draft, it was great seeing these names that we haven't seen or talked about in months. Yes. Um, couple got, a couple of picks that really stuck out to me. Uh, for, I mean, Obi Toppin going to the Knicks. Me personally, I don't think he is this all-star that he's now all of a sudden being hyped up to be. They showed the track record of, guys who were 22 years or older being picked in the lottery over the last 12 years. And it's atrocious. I mean, none of them lasted more than three years in the league. I think he'll buck that trend, but I don't think he's got that all-star in him that some people want. The way I look at him is this, his player comp is Amari Stoudemire. So what I'm about to say, I don't want you to think I'm comparing him in terms of playing style to the guy I'm about to mention, but he reminds me of an Andre Iguodala type. Again, not in the way he plays. He's an Amari Stoudemire comp, but he reminds me of Iguodala in the sense of the player that he can be, which is a guy who's going to be a candidate for sixth man of the year every year. He's, or he's going to be a really good fourth or fifth piece in your starting lineup. Maybe he'll mess around and make an all-star game or two, but that's about it. But that's not a bad thing. That's you. Every championship team needs that kind of player. So and the Knicks need players. The Knicks, I mean, the, Knicks need, the Knicks just need guys right now. Something, so, yeah. And it was great to see. I mean, he's a New York kid. It was great to see right. all that. So I, I, I love Obi. Joe, the thing about the NBA draft, I've never really understood much. NFL, it's like quarterback obviously is the most valued. The best players get taken the highest. And the NBA, I get it's all about measurables and potential. And a lot of these guys come out as freshmen, so you're trying to project. Yeah. But, man, to get Obi at eight, from what you yeah. saw. Miles eight, Powell did it. That's what I was going to say next. Miles Powell went undrafted, and the Knicks signed him. That's another great piece for the Knicks. If you great watch piece. college basketball for the last four years – Miles Powell every year was one of the best players. Scores, yeah. Sure, there's there's knocks on guys like that. There's reasons they don't get drafted. But how many times do you all of a sudden see, you know, a, a guy like that who's now making an impact on a team, whether it's as the second or third guy off the bench, you know, you get that random few nights in December or January where, all right, the Knicks suck. So they don't really have this thing. But you, you, uh, you take a guy like that and you put him on the Rockets, for, per se, like the last few years. All right, there's a night where Westbrook and Harden load manage. That's a player who steps in and still drops 25 for you. Look, right. at the, look at the Clippers last year. You know, I'm not saying Miles Powell is like Lou Williams, but how many nights did Paul George and Kawhi load manage and Lou comes in and drops 30? And Lou's got his deficiencies, of course. Again, uh-huh. not saying Miles Powell is Lou Williams, but – scorers are scorers and if guys can get buckets you need that in this nba and that's why another guy like marcus howard can't defend for anything but 
he was dropping 40 consistently at Marquette mm-hmm. and, and he got picked up with it in the end. So uh, you look at guys like this, he got picked up by the nuggets. You look at guys like that in today's NBA, in the era of load management in this season, where there's going to be probably more load management because it's condensed. You're going to need just scores to on a night when your stars are taking off, come in and still pick up the slack. So I'm surprised that some guys like that slid all the way to the end and they're probably going to be nice pieces. I think my biggest takeaway from this draft, and it, it was said on, on the draft coverage, I'm not breaking any ground here with this. Um, no real stars. No. But I don't think it was a weak draft. You look back at 2013, the draft with Anthony Bennett, that was a weak draft. There were no yeah. stars. Right, right. Except for Giannis, there were no starters. I mean, the only real starting pieces were Oladipo, Giannis, and Gobert. That year had no stars and no starters. I think this draft might not have the stars, but it has a lot of starters that are going to be good pieces on teams where you start looking at the contenders and a guy that was drafted as maybe the fourth man in their starting lineup or their really good sixth man off the bench. So a lot of good pieces, no stars. And then Jalen Smith, my guy, number 10 of the Suns. I was really happy about that pick. Great, great spot. And he gets to play with Chris Paul now, and he gets to work with DeAndre Ayton. Tyrese Halliburton was the guy for me at Iowa State. Me I mean, too. He Loved him. checks off the, all the boxes, and he dropped to 13. And the look, case. Sacramento's got Fox, and they got healed. But I just think they were like, we, we can't pass. The, I yeah. mean, he's clearly the best player available. I thought the Knicks, should, if not for the personal connection to New York, I was surprised that the Knicks took Same. Toppin over him. I, I, I thought that was a slam dunk for the Knicks to take Halliburton there. Yep, yep. And I, I loved Obi, but I thought the fit with New York for Halliburton was perfect. So for the Kings to get him at 13, I thought was a really good fit. And the NBA is tough because nowadays – all these international guys are really becoming high draft picks. Yeah. And so like, you know, the dude that the wizards took and LaMelo ball, we obviously haven't seen much of him. Um, You just, you don't know how they're going to do. Luca is the exception. Dirk's the exception. Giannis is the exception, but I mean, how many European stars are there? So I think you make a good point that probably no stars in this draft, I mean, Wiseman, just because of how big and athletic he is, if he can develop a jump shot, I mean, you could look at him possibly as a yes. star, but yes. outside I of think, him. I think, look, I said not many. I think Lomelo is going to be a star. I think he has that ability. I think it was – I hope I'm not crediting the wrong person. I think it was Jay Billis. If not, it was, it was Jay Williams. There was one of them last night on the draft coverage. Uh, they made the very, very interesting point. If Lomelo Ball last year – was at Duke or Carolina or Kentucky and was on the front of our brains. And we saw him on national TV every night. I think it would have, we would have been looking at him as a slam dunk, number one pick going to be a superstar, but because he was out of sight, out of mind in the NPL, different story, but I would agree with that based on all accounts out of that league, he had a season there comparable to what Luca did in Europe, not saying that he's going to come in and be Luca, but right. I think he has the ability to come in and be a star. And Anthony Edwards, obviously question marks, love the kids, great background, great story, root for him. You question it. He questions his, he's already, he's already questioned he's his there. love for basketball. I mean, it's just yeah. not there. But then you think back to last year and think of how many games for Georgia where he was the most fired up guy in the court. So what he said didn't really jive with the way he acted last year in a good way. He said he wasn't really too passionate about it, but he showed that passion last year. So it's a little head scratching there. We'll see how that projects. So I, I think 
LaMelo has the best chance to be a star of the known commodities. Uh, but again, I think a lot of starters in there, a lot mm-hmm. of starters. You've got a Bama guy there too, as well. So Kyra and gets paired with Zion. That'll be fun for him. Um, you mentioned Duke, Carolina, Kentucky, and Kansas. No lottery. Michigan yet. state either. Michigan state. Michigan state I a mean, lot of blue bloods. Blue bloods. That's, that's pretty wild, which is great for college basketball. All this talent is kind of separating itself. Speaking of talent, we got Tim Kirchin coming up next, talking all things baseball. Pleased to be joined this week for the second time by ESPN's Tim Kirchin. Tim, thanks for stopping by and joining us. How's everything going? Uh, good, good. It's been a bizarre season, world, year for all of us. It's going to stay that way, I think, for a while. So we're all going to have to be make some adjustments and try to stay safe. I, I think that's all we can do. Absolutely. Um, last time we saw you, it was our first podcast episode all the way back in May. And there was a lot of uncertainty surrounding the season. We weren't sure whether or not they were going to play. Obviously, they did play. We crowned a champion. Talking to players, managers, GMs, owners around baseball, what was just a general level of satisfaction with the way that the season turned out? Well, I know I was greatly satisfied that we actually finished the season because there was a real question whether we were even going to start the season. And then there was a bigger question whether we'd finish it. And then after the Marlins had their outbreak and then the Cardinals, and we didn't know if those two teams could finish and if they couldn't finish, were they going to cancel the whole season? It was very exhausting. The whole year was difficult. It was draining. But there is a great deal of satisfaction that we finished this. And the players, for the most part, deserve a lot of credit for showing a lot of dedication and diligence and doing the right thing when it came to health health and safety protocols. Otherwise, we would have never gotten through this. And I think they all recognize that about after about the first couple of weekends of the season when teams started to travel, like, uh-oh, this is a dangerous spot. We better do what we're supposed to do here or else we're not going to finish this season. So I think there's everyone deserves a big pat on the back. We got it done. Got it done. And there were a lot of adjustments off the field, on the field. Some of the ones on the field, again, we touched on when you were with us in May. Uh, the, back then they were just rule changes in principle. DH in both leagues, runner on second and extra innings, seven inning double headers. After having seen all those rule changes in action, what were your takeaways from those rules and which of those do you think will stick? Well, I was in favor of all of those rules for this year because this was the strangest, most bizarre baseball season ever. There's really not a close second. So whatever it took to get through this season with as, you know, with as little difficulties as possible, I was all for those. I think the DH is going to stay, the universal DH, and I think it should. It's a good way to keep pitchers healthy. It's a good way to get a star player off his feet for a day and still get him for at-bats. And I think just logically, there's no way the union is going to allow a high-paid, high-profile job like the DH to go away. Now, personally, I could live with pitchers batting in both leagues. I'm okay. I just want the same rules in each league. That seems like the best thing to do. As for everything else, I'm sorry. I I wasn't a fan of any of the – I'm not a fan of any of these moving forward. If we're going to play a game, we're going to play nine innings. We've been doing that for 150 years. I just think this is the big leagues. 
This is not softball. Yeah. <laughs> this is not American Legion ball. And this isn't the minor leagues. This is the big leagues. We should play till somebody wins. And we, sh- we shouldn't have an added element of putting a guy at second to start the 10th inning. Look, I understood it. I get it. I, I saw the drama to it, the strategy to it. I just don't think that's the way the game was designed to be played. So I would get rid of that also. And I certainly would get rid of the three batter minimum uh, that all managers were, were confined to. And even though it was, it was supposed to speed up the games, and clearly it didn't. So <laughs> look, I'm, I'll, I could live with anything. I cover baseball for a living. I'm not going to hear tell you, look, I'm not going to cover next year if we put a runner on. I'm going to love the game no matter what. But you're asking me what would I do? I would take away all of these rule changes except for the universal DH and stay with that. Now, one team that was, I guess, largely unaffected because we thought they were going to be the best team from day one and they won the World Series was the Dodgers. Now, we heard you say throughout the year, this was among the best Dodger teams you've ever seen in your 40-plus years covering baseball. Now that they won the title, how do they compare to the all-time teams overall? Not just all-time Dodger teams. How do they compare to the greatest teams overall in history? Well, they're definitely the greatest Dodger team I've seen, and that's in 41 years. To me, there's no doubt about that. As far as the best teams I've seen, I'm not ready to go there yet. I I was old enough to remember very vividly 75-76 Reds. That's maybe the best team in the history of the National League. The 98 Yankees were unbelievably good. Tony Gwynn pulled me aside after three games of that series, and he looked at me and he goes, are they really this good? And it was a rhetorical <laughs> question. Like I've seen them only now for three games. You've seen them a lot more. He was asking me, are they really this good? And the answer is yes, Tony, they're really this good. So I think it's hard to put the Dodgers, even though they've been to three world series in the last, you know, five, four years, I just don't think we're ready to go there yet. I think you got to win it twice and then we'll start to uh, look at them, but they're going to win it twice. They're going to win three times, too. That's the point. They are set up with young players, with good players, with guys under contract. They have so much money to deal with. They have a great farm system. They're going to be good for a lot of, a lot of years to come. Now, you mentioned how good they're going to be. No surprise, they're the betting favorite again to win the World Series next year. What team do you think is best equipped to maybe dethrone them as champions? Well, the Yankees are always the answer to that question with what they've set up in recent years, but they've got some work to do. They have to figure out what they're going to do behind the plate with Gary Sanchez. Do they keep him and keep him catching, or do they make him the DH, or do they move him? They have to get some people healthy. They've got to find a way to keep Aaron Judge on the field more often because when he plays, he's great. They have to determine what position is Gleyber Torres going to play. He's clearly a better second baseman than he is shortstop, but they don't have a shortstop right now. So we need to really keep our eyes on the Yankees and see what they do here. Are they going to go get Trevor Bauer for one year? Are they going to go get JT Real Muto? Are they going to make a trade for Francisco Lindor? And they they keep saying the Yankees, we're going to stay under the payroll. We've spent enough money here. We should be good enough. But when you haven't won since 2009, Uh, I think we should keep our eye on them and the other team, of course, in New York, the Mets. So this could be a fascinating winner that we're 
embarking on here. And yet there's so much uncertainty. <laughs> we just don't know where the finances of the game are right now. Right. Now, Joe is a Mets fan. He's definitely going to ask. We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that bit. in a second. We'll get yeah. to that in a second. <laughs> my, my question for Tim, though, um, moving over to the managerial side, I really can't remember an offseason where there were just this many interesting hires in baseball. Tony LaRusso to the White Sox, A.J. Hinch, Tigers, Cora back to the Red Sox. Which hire intrigues you most heading into the next season? Well, I certainly wasn't surprised by Hinch and Cora returning. They are two really, really good managers. They're young, they're smart, they're great communicators, and they have great futures ahead of them. And that's not to condone anything that they did. They did wrong, they know it, they acknowledge it, they paid their dues. And personally, I'm okay with them coming back after one year. Other people aren't, I certainly am. And I'm not surprised the Red Sox brought Cora back, and I'm not surprised A.J. Hinch got a job after one year. The Tony La Russa situation is completely different. Now, he's <laughs> won the third most games in Major League history for a manager. I covered him almost from the beginning of his career, just missed the beginning, to the end of his career, and he's one of the greatest managers I've ever seen, and I have so enjoyed talking baseball with him for over 40 years. That's how great he's been. But he's 76 years old, and I still think he knows the game, and I still think he can manage. The differences our players today are different, way different than when he took over in 1979. They're way different since he last managed in the big leagues in 2011. So to try to get to a player who is literally 55 years older than that's going to be a challenge. And he's the master communicator. He's the master psychologist. So I think he'll find a way to get through to those young White Sox, and I think they'll be good. But first, of course, we have to see what his court case is going to tell. And we're going to see if the White Sox decide they're going to stay with him. My guess is for the moment they're going to stay with him. They keep saying they are. But we need to see how this court case works out in theory, it could change, but this is a tricky situation, to say the least. I was surprised that, you know, we saw Renteria listed as one of the AL Manager of the Year candidate finalists, and then that bombshell hit. So it was a whole big uh, kind of merry-go-round out there in Chicago that surprised people. Now, I said I'd get to the Mets. I'm a Mets fan. You see the smile from ear to ear. Finally, we got the ownership changed. Big group of free agents this year with Real Muto, Bauer, Springer, LeMahieu, guys you already mentioned. There's always one team in free agency that's willing to go for it and spend big. Do you think the Mets could really be that team this year, being that Cohen hasn't necessarily been impacted financially in the way that other owners have since he's now just taking over? Do you really think that the Mets could could be big players for all these guys? They've all been linked to the Mets. Yeah, I'm not just saying this, Joe, because you're on the podcast. <laughs> saying this because I believe it. Uh, I think Steve Cohen has more money than really the next two owners – if not the next three owners combined. That's how wealthy he is. And he's a former Met fan, still is a Met fan. And I know it sounds corny, but that level of connection and that level of investment with a team, not a financial investment, a personal investment, I think I I, I know his first press conference was wildly, uh, was wildly, you know, 
everyone loved what he said. Me too. I mean, when he said, <laughs> we're going to do this for the fans, I believed him. And with all that money and with a recognizing now's the time to strike, just like you said, so many other teams just don't have the money to do what they want to do right now because they lost so much on their team in 2020. But Steve Cohen didn't. So I could see him going to get Real Muto and making him their catcher. I could see him making a deal for Francisco Lindor. I could see him signing Trevor Bauer. I could definitely see him signing George Springer to play center field. Now, he's not going to do all of those things, <laughs> but if he does two of those things, let's say he gets Bauer and Springer. Well, that's a demonstrably better Mets team if they do that. Um, if he gets Real Muto and Bauer, oh, my goodness, that, that, that really helps them in so many areas. I was told before he – officially became the owner from somebody who knows him really well. He said, look, he's really smart. And he says he knows how to use data in order to get the best out of people who work for him. And that's what I think he's going to do. He's going to come in. He's going to have some different ideas. But in the end, he's going to look at Sandy Alderson and whoever else runs that baseball operation. And he's going to say, all right, this is what I think we should do. What do you guys think? You're the expert. So I couldn't be more confident in the Mets situation now because, to me, ownership change was absolutely critical there. Music to my ears, Tim. Music to my ears. Now, <laughs> he just made his day. <laughs> some, some more big news in the NL East uh, this week. A huge storyline, not just for baseball, but for the whole sports world, with Kim Ang becoming the first female GM, first Asian-American GM. Uh, being around the game as much as you are, what can you tell us about her and what can you tell us about – the general feel around the league about her getting the job? Well, it's certainly about time. I mean, I went back and read something that I wrote about her 20 years ago as being a qualified candidate to be a general manager in the major leagues, 20 years. And she has waited patiently for all this, but more important, she has learned so much about the game. She is wicked smart, believe me. She is an absolute workaholic. She will not stop until she gets what she wants. And she's going to surround herself with people who can really understand the game if there's something that she doesn't get, like any other general manager wouldn't get. This is the... The common denominator of every great GM that I've ever met, especially the ones who didn't play in the big leagues like Theo Epstein, they look at their best people and say, our numbers say this person belongs on our team. We need this guy. Now, I want you to tell me if he can play. That's what Kim will do very well. She understands that there are people out there that can really help in the baseball operation. I expect her to be a smashing success. And I think this is a great day for Major League Baseball that finally, after all these years, she's been promoted to a job like this. And she's got not only the new age metrics behind her, but she's got an old school way of doing things. Because when she was, you know, an assistant GM, say, 20 years ago, things were done differently then. Scouting development. She knows that part of it also. She knows both ends. And that's really important. All said, you brought up Theo Epstein, and we just found out about an hour, hour and a half ago that he's decided to step down as president of baseball operations for the Cubs. 
Were you surprised by the news? And do you think that it was just more of he wanted a fresh start somewhere else? Or you think maybe he kind of wants to take a year or two off from the game? Well, I wasn't shocked. Let's put it that way. I wasn't, I was mildly surprised, but I shouldn't have been because when he met with Tom Ricketts a few months ago, just to discuss the future with a year left on his contract, that's unusual. Now you got to remember Theo is another brilliant guy and he's a Renaissance man. He's got a lot of other things in the world that he's interested in other than baseball, even though baseball is clearly his passion. So I think he, he he said something this morning, something like, I, I have a chance, you know, to to not, you know, punch a, a clock at a ballpark. I haven't done that in the last 30 years. And I think he's looking forward to seeing what else is out there. I think he'll run another team someday, but I think he'll take a year and I think he should take a year. This baseball job is really difficult these days, fellas. Managing a team is really hard. Being a general manager is even harder. And if you're not totally invested in the game, the game can wear you down. That's why it's so great, is it's so difficult to play, to manage, to run, that eventually you just got to take a step away. And I'm a big believer. Managers have a shelf life. Five years with the same team, they stop listening to the manager after five, maybe ten if you're lucky. And the general manager is the same thing. Sometimes you just need a fresh start somewhere else, and I think that's what Theo ended up doing. Now, do you definitely – well, I agree with you that I, I could see him taking a year off, but do you think there's any amount of money that Steve Cohen can run on a check? Because in the last hour since Theo announced that he was stepping down, that's been the big rumor that's already kind of running out of control is could he try to end the Mets drought in the same way that he ended Chicago's and Boston's? Well – Anything is possible. I put nothing past Theo, Steve Cohen. And when money always, that's what I would say. Money talks, yep. And Theo's won in Boston. He's won in Chicago. Mets haven't won in a while. So I think he would look at it and think, yeah, this would be a great opportunity. So I put nothing past him. But I'm going to stick for the moment with he's going to take a year off, see what's out there. But who knows what Steve Cohen and the Mets will come at him with. Tim, last question for you before we get into our final segments. The 2020 season, when you look back on this season, what will be your lasting impression from it? Well, it will just be one of relief that we finished, which we've been over on this podcast already. That's yeah. the number one thing we finished it. But there were so many other great things that happened especially in the postseason. We played eight playoff games in one day. I, I called that on national TV yeah. <laughs> the greatest day of my whole life. And <laughs> There were five playoff games on at one time at, at a certain point. Right. And I had people saying, you're married with two children. <laughs> I was kidding. But that's not the point. The point is what a great day that was in baseball. And we had a bunch of other spectacular days in October. The World Series was really interesting. That finish to game four was the damnedest thing I've ever seen. And I haven't missed a World Series game, well, until this year in 41 years. I mean, it's just it was just unbelievable. So... I think the takeaway in the end, though, I think it has to be, is not only did we get through it, but the best team won. 
I mean, I always worry in this 60-game season and this strange playoff situation, if a team out of nowhere, they won and they had a sub-500 record. And even though I would still applaud them for getting through this season and getting through October, I just think it makes the season a little bit more legitimate when the team that was the best team from the beginning of the season to the end of the season won the World Series, and that was the Dodgers. They had been behind in a postseason series three to one ten, nine different times. This was the tenth time, and they had never won, come back from 3-1 down until this year. So that will be my takeaway. It'll be, among many things, it'll be Clayton Kershaw holding the World Series trophy above his head yep. and uh, saying, I'm a champion. I, I think now, thankfully, we can end that narrative. Of course, and that was – one of the first things PJ and I both said on our first episode after the World Series, you could put any asterisk talk to bed because the team who everybody was going to pick to win it in a 162-game season also won it in a 60-game season being the Dodgers. So, Tim, you remember the first time we had our two closing segments, the Swift 7 and the trivia question. We got uh, another good one for you here. PJ was researching it, but we'll start with the Swift 7. To piggyback of what you, off of what you just said, question number one, Kershaw got one. Who's the next beloved player of that stature to finally get a ring? Um, well, that's a good question. I, I think the Indians need to win the World Series next. I don't think they have a player on that team that necessarily has to win it because they haven't been around long enough. But the Indians, 1948, almost won in 2016. I can't go with a player. I have to go with a franchise, and I think it's the Indians' turn. And I'm not suggesting they're going to win it, but <laughs> if there's any team that is due, it's it's the Indians. Fair enough. Number two, uh, was Rays Dodgers game four the best ending to a baseball game you've ever seen? No, it was the craziest ending to any postseason game I've ever seen. Uh, the best ending was was probably Jack Morris in 1991, one to nothing, 10 innings beat, uh, beat the Braves in game seven of the World Series. Uh, and in 2011, the David Freeze home run was mm. amazing. And I've seen so many games, and they've all been so memorable. But And I was at the Buckner game, of course, so <laughs> that was amazing. But, but the Buckner game, remember when Mookie Wilson hit that ground ball, when he swung the bat, the score was tied at that time. When Brett Phillips swung the bat, the, the Rays were behind when he swung the bat. That changed everything. And two errors to bring home they, the, the winning run in a walk-off game like that had never happened in the history of the postseason. And in the Buckner game, nobody fell rounding third base either. So <laughs> It wasn't the greatest ending, but it was the craziest ending I've ever seen, and I would guess most people would agree. All right, number three. Will the Mets win a World Series in Steve Cohen's mandated timeline of three to five years? I'm going to say yes. Again, I, I, the same guy that told me, you know, this guy is really smart and he, he's going to know what to do. He told me this guy is not going to sit around and be second to the Yankees all the time as the Mets have been. I think he's determined to win this, not just for his family, because his family loves the Mets, but for his fans. So I'm going to say, yes, he wins a the Mets win a world series in the next three to five years. All right. Number four, best manager in baseball. 
I still think it's Tito Francona, even though he got sick. He is the master communicator. He has the best feel with people that I think I've ever seen from a manager. He knows exactly what button to push on which player, and he knows exactly when to push it. He's so good with people. He's And even though he's a good strategist, he just understands the game better than anyone else, has a feel for it. So there are a lot of great ones out there. Love Kevin Cash. Love Craig Council. Moving forward as young ones, Joe Madden's great. But I'll take Tito Francona. Number five, best player in the National League. The best player in the National League is is Mookie Betts because he plays in the National League now. And even though he didn't win the MVP, he had a fabulous season and he showed us what he could do in the postseason, not just with the way he hits the ball out of the ballpark, but he won he won at least one game with the way he runs the bases. He's as good a base runner as there is in the big leagues. And believe me, not everybody runs the bases very well in the big leagues these days. And his defense in right field was absolutely spectacular. I think you can make the case over the last five years, at least, uh, the best player in baseball has been Mike Trout, and the second best player has been Mookie Betts. Number six, over, under, one and a half more World Series titles for the Dodgers in the next five years. I'm going to be bold on this. I'm going to say over. I think they're going to win two more times. Okay. All right. Kershaw is is still really good. Walker Bueller, who we saw in the postseason. I don't know if anyone ever gets a hit off of that. (laughs) I don't either. Cody Bellinger's 25, 26 years old. They got all those guys locked up. I'm going to say they win twice in five years, and the Mets win once in those five years. I'm cutting down the options here pretty good. Yes, are, the I, Orioles, are the Orioles the other two years, Tim? <laughs> no, and, and neither are the Pirates. Sorry. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Number seven, your favorite Thanksgiving food? Well, Turkey is is the easy choice. It's everybody, and I like white meat, and I, more than anything, like to eat at an earlier time during the day, not at 6.30 at night. I like to eat at 2 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the afternoon because later that night, turkey sandwich, great roll, little mayonnaise, little bit of pepper, oh, that's good <laughs> on Thanksgiving night. Is Fourth of July your favorite holiday just because baseball on Fourth of July? Or do you have a fa- another favorite? Uh, I love the Fourth of July because, yes, I'm usually covering a game from the booth, and that's my new favorite thing to do. But Christmas is always my favorite holiday. It, it always will be. Okay. Um, Tim, if you remember, we always end with the trivia question. Uh, we think we found a good one for you. Obviously, they just came out with the MVPs and the Cy Youngs. So we have an MVP-themed question for you. So since 2000, there have been three teams who have had different players win the MVP in back-to-back years. Uh, The three teams are San Francisco, Philly, and Detroit. So if you can give us those six players, obviously two on each team that went back-to-back, that is your question. All right, the teams were the, the Giants. Giants. Phillies and right, Tigers. That's, right, that's Bonds and Kent. Correct. Correct. All right, the Phillies 
had Rollins and Howard. That is correct. And what's the third team? The Tigers. Tigers. Uh, that's Cabrera and Verlander. There you go. Sweet. Well done. That is correct. So those are the. I was I was impressed honestly that it was it was that many since 2000 back to back. Who knows? The Braves might make it four because Freeman won, and then you got Acuna there. So we'll see right. what happens. I think I did a little better than I did on the Quins today. <laughs> I'm still reeling from embarrassing myself on that. So <laughs> hey, that's my go-to question for everybody. And, and at this at this pace, we had you on episode one. We've got you on episode 25. We'll have another good question ready for you for episode 50. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for having me, fellas, and good luck with uh, with the Zoom and the podcast. Okay? Thank you, Tim. As well. Always appreciate your time. Be well. Okay, guys. See you. Take care. Once again, that was Tim Kirchin of ESPN, kind enough to join us for the second time, able to get his trivia question. I know he was fired up about that, redeeming <laughs> himself. Um, Joe, he made you a happy man. I'm sure going in. Yeah, I mean, you were going to ask him questions about the Mets, but you probably didn't know how he'd respond, which way he'd lean, if he was kind of in the same mindset as you were. Not only was he in the same mindset, he told you that he thinks the Mets can win a World Series in the next five years. He said they can do it in Cohen's timeline. He said it's not far-fetched that the Mets are in on all these free agents. Not going to sign them all, but in on them all. And that's something that hasn't happened before. The other trivia question that we were tossing around to give him was – can you name the top five biggest contracts the Mets have given uh, in their history? And the biggest one is like David Wright in the mid hundred millions. Those are all going to be blown out of the water with Cohen. I mean, the Mets, it's hard to conceptualize, but the Mets are literally about to start operating like the Yankees. They're finally going to start operating like a big market team. Mm. Um, obviously the big thing looming now is can he lure Theo Epstein? Theo Epstein said that he wants to take a year off, but he also said he wants to get into ownership and Steve Cohen, it's already been rumored that he's floating out the possibility of giving Epstein part ownership of the team. There's a lot to be excited about with the Mets right now. But the thing that got me going the most was he said he thinks, he thinks in the timeline Cohen gave, like he said in the end, two for the Dodgers, one for the Mets, and fill in the other two. But those other two will not be the Orioles. And that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I like the prospects the Orioles are getting. But again, to win a World Series is going to be tough. You know, the one thing I'll say about free agency, I feel like more so the trade deadline is more important to winning championships than free agency is. Obviously, free agency helps. You can get guys like Garrett Cole, George Springer, Trevor Bauer. But you look at teams that have won it, and I know Mookie signed in the offseason to help the Dodgers. But, like, I think back to the Red Sox teams and getting guys like Nathan Avaldi. Obviously, the Astros went and got Verlander at the deadline. So free agency, while it'll be great and Cohen has such an advantage that he has all this money that he can give out to players, I still think that when it comes down to it, the Mets organization at the trade deadline has to make some key moves to add to what guys that they get in free agency if they want to win it. But look, the Dodgers need somebody that will be competitive with them in the NL. The Braves took them to seven. The Padres are looking like that they could turn the NL West into a fun division between those. But those two. those teams are really good teams, but they're not. Nece- you don't look at them necessarily yet like Titans. The Mets right, can right. be a Titan like the Dodgers, if, which is exciting. Right, is if they exciting. if they get those teams. So, I mean, that's that's the one because I agree with and, Tim. I, I think the Dodgers will win two at least of the next five years. And the really interesting thing now for the Mets is there's so many possible moving parts now 
because of the Robinson Cano PED positive test, which side note, like mentally so conditioned now, whenever you see tested positive, you think it's COVID. So I was no like, question. oh man, he, I caught the same. And then I saw HGH, I was like, oh my God. Um, that was such good news oh. for the Mets because LeMahieu well, now jumps Mets, way up there. What I was just going to say, because McNeil can play left field, second base, third base, and because J.D. Davis, not very well, can play third and left, you have so many options now. So you can go ahead and just sign LeMahieu and plug him in at second, uh, and you could play in between left and third, Davis, McNeil, whatever. Um, if you're, if you're done with JD Davis, you put JD Davis and Ahmed Rosario and prospects in a trade for Lindor. You saw with LeMahieu at second, you move McNeil to third or left. You could sign Springer and center. Um, if they want, they could sign Ozuna and left and move McNeil the infield because McNeil has played multiple positions. There are so many possibilities now with that vacancy at second base. If Cano was there, Cano would have been the albatross for the Mets this year where it's like, all right, we got this guy that we're paying $24 million. He's an infielder, and we really don't know what to do with him. But this right. is so good. It gives him so many options now uh, as far as – it sucks for Cano. He's not going to make the money, and he's probably now not going to make the Hall of Fame. But great for the Mets and Mets fans because the possibilities were already plentiful. But now they're endless. I mean, you could – you could talk yourself into so many different things next year for the Mets. You could talk yourself into a situation where it's Ozuna in left, McNeil at third, Lindor at short, LeMahieu at second, Springer in center, or it could be McNeil in left, Jimenez at second, Rosario at short. Uh, you know, there's so many possibilities now for the Mets, and it's going to be really exciting when that stove starts to heat up in the MLB. Last baseball point, uh, touching on Theo Epstein. I just wonder if the guy, like, what left is there for him to do in baseball? He broke two of the arguably toughest curses in not only baseball. But not arguably. Four. I mean, they were the two. Right. I mean, they so were the two. You bring a championship to Boston and Chicago. So I just wonder if he's like, I just, I miss that feeling of bringing a championship. That's what it is. To a I city that hasn't experienced that in a long time. I read the article from Tom Reducci about it in SI. Great article. And he basically said that in, and I think Jason Stark kind of touched on the same notes in his article. Epstein's favorite thing is the city aspect of it and the community aspect of it. And the reason why he then left the Red Sox for the Cubs is because he wanted to do it again. Yeah. And he, that's the part of it that keeps him going in the article it touched on, you know, him not wanting to stay in a place for more than 10 years because it gets stale and he wants to keep finding something new and he want to keep he wants to keep doing new things for the community. So it's not really too far fetched for him to just pretty much create his own niche as a quote unquote miracle worker. He did it in Boston. He did it in Chicago. All right. Maybe take a year off. Maybe the Indians are next or maybe the Mets are next. Go to the guys, Seattle. the guys, the guys in his, because he's been around for so long and had so much success, we forget the guy's in his 40s. He's in his <laughs> early 40s. He's got so much that he could still do. I mean, he wants to get into ownership, sure. He talked about wanting to get into politics. I mean, I, I would like for him to take control of this <laughs> for a lot of things. He probably figured out a lot of things for Theo. Is it crazy <laughs> to think that Theo could get a larger contract than any MLB free agent this offseason? Oof. I don't know about that. But he'll get a. I mean, he can, he can write his own blank check. 
I mean, UFC could write his you know own. You know what his Cubs contract was? Was it like I'm ten mil sure. a year? I don't, I'm not sure, but because I'm trying. If Billy Bean and Moneyball was offered like thirteen point five, I'm trying to think Theo if he was like fifteen or something. I mean, I think he wants an ownership stake, and I think that's something yeah. that he could be offered, and and it would probably be in the best interest of the owners to do it because it's only going to be good for your franchise. So. Uh, it's, it's whatever Theo Epstein touches turns to gold. Okay. hundred percent. So he, if he said he wants to get into politics, whatever state he wants to be the governor of or something, I'll move to that state. I will move to that state. <laughs> so he, there's a lot of possibilities for him and obviously excited to see what's next. Hope it's the Mets, but wherever it is, everybody will be very intently watching Theo Epstein's next move. Absolutely. Um, college football this week, Joe, all eyes really are on the big 10. I mean, they mm-hmm. have, Big 12 has a big game too in Bedlam, but I think we all think that the Big 12 is out of it. It's all the Big 10 this week. Indiana and Ohio State battling for the Big 10 East, and then Wisconsin and Northwestern battling for the Big 10 West. I don't think many people are expecting Indiana to win, um, especially now you look at their wins. Penn State's 0-4, Michigan's awful, Rutgers um after we see how bad michigan state is but northwestern and wisconsin i think could be an interesting game i've watched wisconsin against illinois a month ago and then this michigan game and i don't know wisconsin almost has a different feel to them it's not necessarily because they're quarterbacks and they have a quarterback i think i think you said it's not necessarily because of that i think it's because of that you do and he he just makes everything else go I just the look one at their thing, skilled players, the and it's one like they thing, seem though, different. They, that's true too, and I think they have a better skill position group than in the past. They don't have the running back that's right, just right. a bell cow like Jonathan Taylor or something like right, that. Right. But the since Russell and only one year for Russell Wilson because he transferred from NC State. Outside of that one Russell Wilson year, Wisconsin just hasn't had that. They haven't, and now they do. They've got a guy who is a five star who picked them over the other top programs because his mom was a big fan and he wanted to start something new and he's from that area. And it's great for them. It's a year early. We thought everybody thought he was going to red shirt and he's, he's not, he's there and he's playing fantastic football. So I think that's it. I, I know, like you said, uh, there are other things too, but it comes down to the quarterback. It's a quarterback driven sport and they have one now that they can hang their hat on as an elite blue chip prospect. Right. Yeah. And Wisconsin, I have so much respect for their program because they know what they are. Every team's trying to reinvent the wheel and Paul Christ and his organization, they, they just, they know what they're doing. And they the defense the is so underrated too. Jim Leonard, Jim Leonard is going to get a head coaching job if he wants one. He Jim might Leonard, be the defensive coordinator there for the next 15, 20 years, but if he wants a head coaching job, he will get it. Jim Leonard will not be the defensive coordinator there for that long because Jim Leonard will be a head coach within the next couple of years. Absolutely. Or, or because obviously the NFL background as a player and with some top defensive coaches like Rex Ryan in his career, he can make the jump to a defensive coach in the NFL and then parlay that into being a head coach in the NFL. That's what Mike Vrabel did. Mike Vrabel started as a defensive coach at Ohio state, turned it into a defensive coach in the NFL, turned it into an NFL head coaching job. So he will not be Wisconsin better enjoy him as their defensive coordinator while they Absolutely. can. It's not going to last. It's not going to last at all. Um, over to the NFL now, Joe. Before we look at this week, we take a look back at last week. And we got to start with uh, Hale Murray in Arizona, Buffalo and, uh, and Arizona. That I, 
I was in the kitchen and I had the TV on in the other room and I just hear Iron Eagle going berserk. And I'm like, what is going <laughs> on? And then I run over and I see the replay and I'm like, damn, DeAndre Hopkins went over three dudes. But look, the NFC West just got real interesting because the Rams beat Seattle, Arizona beat Buffalo, and obviously Arizona and Seattle play tonight. Um, this is the best division in football with those three teams. San Francisco would be good if their whole team wasn't hurt. But those three teams are pretty solid. As of right now, who do you think would be your front runner to take the NFC West? Ooh, so, like you said, we're recording this Thursday afternoon, so we'll learn a lot more tonight. Yeah. So by the time this episode comes out on Friday, we'll already know who won Arizona-Seattle. My pick is Seattle in the game. So with that in mind, they take a game lead on the Cardinals and the Rams we'll see on Monday night. I think the Rams lose to the Bucs. So come Tuesday – we're looking at a division with the Seahawks, a game up on the next two. And I think it's still the Seahawks. Their defense is atrocious. Mm-hmm. But if there's one thing that we know historically from Pete Carroll, it's that when the calendar starts to turn later into the year, he just gets his guys fired up and Russell Wilson kicks it up to another level. And the defense, look, it literally can't get worse than it is. It can only get better. Okay. It can only get better. I think they'll start – I'm not saying they're going to turn into the Legion of Boom Seahawks, but even if they can start playing like a defense that's ranked like 20th in the league, it's a massive improvement and the offense can do the rest. So I do think the Seahawks still emerge on top of the division because, again, just because of mean regression, it's going to get better. It's going to be a positive regression to the mean. And, look, Russ hit a couple of games now where he's in a little bit of a slump, but, again – November, December, Russ kicks it up to a whole different level, and, and I think they'll be fine. Worst offense, Jets or the Bears? Oh, my God, PJ. I can't believe I'm saying this, but the Bears are actually <laughs> worse. No question. <laughs> the they Bears are, are so I cannot bad. believe in the year 2020, I'm saying an offense is worse than the Jets, but the Bears' offense is worse than the Jets. It's, and, and it's the way that Matt Nagy, how good they were his first year. And just to see how bad they are now, it's almost like incomprehensible. Allen Robinson is one of the most underrated receivers in the league. I mean, and he's he, quarterback proof. He has done it with whoever's quarterback. He too. really has. Um, Jimmy Graham's still a good red zone target. He's a big body. They got some nice receivers, but Nick Foles winning the Super Bowl is truly one of the more amazing things. Yeah. Uh, he he's just there's he's Nick not, Foles, and then there's Eagles Nick Foles. Right, Eagles Nick Foles is something special. Right. Just Nick Foles is something awful. <laughs> and boy, has he been all, and now he's going to be out this week. Uh, and Trubisky, oh, well, they're on a bye. Got a bye, so. but, but they're still uncertain about them both after the bye week. So, look, trade for Fitzpatrick. I mean, you'll probably give up a oh, trade deadline's pass. pick, but trade deadline's oh, gone. That's, that's right. Come on, PJ. Yeah, Come on, PJ. You're so right. <laughs> I know there was other big things going on November 3rd, but the trade deadline was November 3rd. You're right. You're right. That's true. <laughs> um, all right. This week, Joe, which, uh, which game catches your eye the most? Uh, you got Los Angeles at Tampa on Monday night, Green so, Bay at Indianapolis. Yeah, Tennessee certain things took a little bit of a hit because of things that went on last week. I think I was looking forward more to – uh, Saints-Falcons, because they always play great games, but now mm-hmm. with no Drew Brees, they're still play a good game like they always do, uh, but it's not the same because you're, you're looking at that game to see, all right, are the Saints going to continue being that number one team in the NFC? Well, now you don't really 
pay as close attention to it because they're not the team that they're going to be a month from now because they'll have Breeze back a month from now. Um, under the radar, Patriots-Texans is kind of an interesting game now that the yeah. Patriots have started winning again. But you go beyond that, um, they, uh, what was the other game that I was looking at that took a hit? Uh, I just had it listed here. Uh, oh, maybe not. Sorry. Um, I look at Colts-Packers as a big game. Yeah. Colts-Packers is probably my game of the week. I don't know what I was trying to say before. I had a note. That's a good one. Rams-Bucks on Monday night. I mean, finally have a good Monday night game uh, since Ravens-Chiefs, really, because every other game has been, like, not very good teams. But this is this is a solid matchup. Um, you know, it's a tough survivor week, actually. It is. Because I know everybody's going to be taking three teams. Steelers, Chargers, Vikings. I'm saving Pittsburgh for two weeks when they get Washington at home. The Chargers, Joe, I know you think the Jets are going to lose this week. They probably will. but I I'm just, taking the Chargers and Survivor. I don't trust them. I, I know if that game is I close do. late in the third <laughs> quarter, early fourth quarter, they just don't know how to close out games. And yeah. I, 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 they, they worry me. The Jets are coming off a bye. And I know with Adam Gase at the helm, that might not that mean means nothing. Right. But <laughs> it's, it's still you get an extra week of prep. Bosa's back, though, for the Chargers. I'm not saying it's out of the realm of possibility that the Jets win this game. But uh, considering the options, I already use the Steelers. I have the right. Chargers and the Vikings available. I'm just going to ride with the Chargers against the worst team in the league. The Chargers have been losing close games, but they've been playing really well. They were in it to the end and lost an overtime against the Saints, in it to the end against the Bucks. lost on a crazy last-minute play against the Broncos, lost on a crazy last-second drop when they almost won it after a review Raiders, against yeah. the Raiders. So they're right there. The Jets are not. So I'm going to go with the Chargers, but uh, it, it, it is a tougher week in Survivor. The big yeah. week is Week 12. I'm looking at Week 12. We'll get there when we get there. But Week 12 right, next week, really oh, tough week. Really tough. And I saved specifically – I saved specifically the Packers for that week. I have not touched the Packers because the only realistic pick that week is the Packers home against the Bears. So I saved the Packers for that. Smart. Um, yeah, I, if Anthony Lynn, if the Chargers lose, you think he gets fired? You might. <laughs> I mean, you lose to the Jets, you might. I think, he'll, I think they'll ride him out to the end of the season, though, because of Herbert, and they don't want to have a mid-year right. change with a young quarterback. And sure, they're not closing out games, but they are playing fine. So I think they'll give him to the end of the year. That's but a fireball offense. The writing's on the wall. The <laughs> yeah. writing's on the wall if he if he doesn't <laughs> win this week. Right. But the other game, the other big one that neither of us touched on, uh, and this is actually what I was before when I was fumbling like an idiot over which game I had note of that has kind of lost its luster a little bit. Uh, I was looking at my list and I couldn't find it. This was the one. I don't know how this slipped my mind, but this is the one that I was trying to talk about. Ravens Titans is the one that has kind of lost its luster a little bit because the teams are coming in. They've both backed into this game. You look a few yeah. weeks ago, you circled this game. All right. This might be all right. The, the Ravens wouldn't be a top seed because the Steelers are still unbeaten, but you look at this as a game between two of the top teams in the AFC. And now the Ravens lost struggled against the Colts, but still won and then lost. And the Titans have lost, struggled against the Bears, but won, and then lost. So they've both backed into this rematch of last year's playoff game. Yep. Everybody was so excited for this game a few weeks ago, and now it's just like, ugh, 
We have to watch this. And game. look, these and it's still a huge game. It's still a huge, huge game, game, huge game. And they're both battling for a wild card because Baltimore has got the Steelers next week on Thanksgiving. And then the Titans travel to Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. So this week and next week are huge, huge games. It's such an interesting spot for both teams. They're, they're both coming off of bad losses. They're, they both have look aheads. Yeah. Really huge divisional games. They do. But then they have this massive matchup in the middle. So I don't know what to make of it. I I told you. It's lost its luster because both teams have come in playing so poorly. I told you two weeks ago that I like Tennessee to win the game. But now that Baltimore lost to New England, I'm, I'm, I'm caught between it. But when you look at these revenge games in the NFL, okay, the team that's looking for revenge, in this case, Baltimore, because they lost to Tennessee in the playoffs. Usually the team that's looking for revenge doesn't win. I think about the New Orleans and the Rams game after that NFC championship and New Orleans went to LA and that was their big revenge. Now Breeze got hurt, if you remember, but the Rams still blew him out. I remember years ago when the Giants went to San Francisco, when Eli Manning beat them in the NFC championship game the year before. They played the following year in San Francisco. The Giants beat them. So these revenge games, I think, are overblown. You know, Tennessee wants to be Baltimore just as badly as Baltimore wants to be Tennessee. And Baltimore's still banged up on the D-line. And watching how they weren't able to stop the run against New England, and now you got Derrick Henry, it doesn't make me very excited. We, you talked all the time, though, about, obviously, Lamar throwing the football. And you're facing Tennessee's secondary. So this – this will be his chance. I mean, yeah. Tennessee will obviously be loading the box to stop the run. Lamar will have his chances to throw the ball. If he's able to throw the ball well, they should win. But, man, I, watching that run defense against New England, now you got to face Derrick Henry. It doesn't uh, exactly get me all excited. No. And Bill Belichick, I swear he, like, commanded the Ramp. rain <laughs> at the end there. I mean. That, I have that, never seen rain like that. It was, it was moderate. It was a monsoon for the last minute. And then as soon as they went to commercial and came back for post-game interviews, it stopped. It totally stopped. So yeah, that, it, that just sucked, that weather. Because they, 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 they should have beaten New England. But the weather just – that was an annoying game. So I'll tell you what, though. I don't know how – in the, in the end, in the end, before we get to our picks, in the end, I don't know how much a normal weather day would have changed things. Because the weather usually inhibits your ability to pass the ball. But both teams were just running the ball. So it, it had an impact because yeah. whenever, you, whenever you did have to go to the air, it right. changed things. But both teams were so run heavy. All right, if that game were if – if you took that weather and you put it to like tonight's Seahawks-Cardinals game, totally different game. Totally sure. different outlook because both teams are 80% pass, 20% run. But that game, both teams were so run heavy. I don't know that the weather had that huge of an impact on the outcome it still sucked and it again any chance you did have to pass was out the window right but because both teams are so run heavy I, I didn't think it was as big of a factor as it was made out to be it's a fair point I think New England too just coming off barely beating the Jets and everybody telling them how horrible they were yeah um they, they were due to, to play pretty well I think um, they're due for a letdown spot this week against the Texans I, I do too and that brings us into best bets which yeah. is a good segue Joe Malfa uh <laughs> we need some better bets is what we need we do we both went one and four last week. Not very good. I, I was really getting in a role in college football, and I have slowed down. And I was not doing well in the NFL, and I've sped up. So I'll I'm going what, NFL heavy this week. I, I tell you what, though, and we talked about this off air. My against the spread picks overall for the NFL were like 
chugging along. I was doing well through a few weeks and it just stunk because I was picking the wrong games to migrate from my overall picks to mm-hmm. the best bets. So like overall I was doing well, but I was just picking the wrong ones to throw into best bets. Um, now I'm not even doing well against the spread. I have hit a snag, so I got to start getting back on track. Well, Joe, you can start right now. Your number five pick is right. what? Number five pick this week. It's something that I've like kept an eye on throughout the year and over the last couple of weeks. And again, I love this spot. I love the forecast. Browns, Eagles, under 49. Supposed to be 70% chance of rain and wind again in Cleveland. Third time in like four yeah. weeks oh. where it's just horrible conditions in Cleveland. And both of these offenses, well, the Eagles offense isn't good. The Browns offense is more run heavy. So they've been milking clock. The weather's supposed to be bad. I don't see seven touchdowns in this game. So I like Browns, Eagles under 49. I'm surprised the number's that high. Uh, yeah, that Texans game was 10-6 and 10-7. And then the uh, the Raiders-Browns game was 16-6 the last two games mm-hmm. in Cleveland. It's a good play. Number five for me is my only college game this week. I think this could be an outright upset, but I'm taking the points. I like Central Florida plus six against Cincinnati. You know, I don't think Cincinnati and BYU are both going to go undefeated because it just it doesn't happen that way in college football. And you look at BYU's schedule, and there's really not much left. I think this is the game where Cincinnati they they lose. This game opened when the lines first came out as a pick'em. UCF's offense, as usual, fantastic. Their defense. Can't stop a nosebleed. So Cincinnati on the road, afternoon game in Central Florida. I think UCF might have a chance to pull the outright upset, but I like them plus six against the Bearcats. All right, so I like Georgia Southern Army. The total is 41. Triple option versus triple option. So the total usually comes down because the logic is a lot of run the ball, a lot of time shoot off the clock. But, but the thing about triple option team versus triple option team, it's different for army Navy because they see each other every year and they see air force is also triple option. But when you get triple option versus triple option, sometimes you get more points than you expect because they're used to running it. They're not used to going up against it. And both of these teams are very efficient offensively. I do like this game to go over the total of 41. I think it could be something in the name. I don't necessarily know who I like in the game, but I, I do think both teams get into the 20s, and it's something like 28-24, whether it's Army, who's home, or Georgia Southern. They're efficient teams, and they have the ability to put up points. And again, it's always tougher to go against it, even when you are a triple option team, because you think in practice, again, different for Army because they go up against the other service academies that are triple option, but Georgia Southern in practice, they don't usually do, typically at least, the normal practice. You don't do ones versus ones because – when Georgia Southern that week is playing Appalachian State, who runs a normal offense, you're doing it against a scout team and you're preparing for that. So it's always tougher to go up against a triple option when you are a triple option team sometimes. My number four, I like Washington this week, minus one and a half against Cincinnati. I think the Bengals have lost like 13 straight road games or something like that. Their only two wins this season have come at home. They tied against Philadelphia. But, uh, you know, Joe Burrow's offensive line is horrendous. The strength of Washington's team is their defensive line. I think they get after them. Both of Washington's wins this season have come against uh, Philly at home and then against Dallas at home as well. Um, So two, you know, two teams that can't protect the quarterback, Washington feasted on. I think that it's going to be the same one in this one. 
Cincinnati's got a good offense, but I think Washington might have found something in that second half against Detroit. Alex Smith got in a little bit of a rhythm. I think it's going to be an ugly game, but uh, Washington favored, I think might surprise a little people, but I think the line's right, and I think they win by two or more. I actually have that as my pick too. I have Washington. <laughs> I have yeah. I have Washington by the in the same pick. So no need to even talk about it for all the same reasons. Uh, Washington is my third pick. Nice. All right, my third pick um, might be might be a surprising one to some people, but I like the Jags plus ten this week against Pittsburgh for a couple reasons. See, I liked Pittsburgh when it was nine and a half, but I saw it go over ten. I shied away. And I like Jacksonville again because of the number at ten. I like the fact that. Again, the Steelers have Baltimore next week. This will be a look ahead for them. You saw what they did against Dallas a couple weeks ago when they just totally overlooked them. There was no motivation. I don't think there'll be any motivation to play Jacksonville. And Ben Roethlisberger, if you truly look at his stats, the one place he does not like playing is Jacksonville. For whatever reason, he just struggles there. I know the defenses have been a lot different through the years, but I think there is something to that. Again, he's been injured. I think this could be a run-heavy game just to get him to Baltimore when they know it's going to be very physical next week. And look at Jacksonville. They covered with Luton against Houston. They yeah. covered against Green Bay. Ten's another double-digit number. I think Pittsburgh wins, but I think it's by less than ten. Yeah, once that went over ten, I said not a shot that I'm <laughs> touching anything regarding this game because I could very easily see – the Steelers coming out and romping them because they've been talking about it all week. Like Tomlin said, this is not a big 10 versus a Mac opponent. We're at a, they are aware that it's a possible trap game. And they've talked about it in the media where I think they're going to come out and make a statement going into that Thursday game against the Ravens. But 10 and a half is a very scary backdoor number. So I no no shot once that changed uh, my final two picks. So I've been certain about number one, the whole week. Uh, I thought about a couple of options for number two, what I ended up settling on, and again, it, it, it's a case of a team coming off a bye that always plays this divisional opponent very tough, very tough. And they're usually uh, games that y- you don't necessarily end up seeing or thinking they're going to go the way they go. But the Falcons always play the Saints so tough, so tough. And five and a half when you don't know if it's going to be Winston or Hill or what it's going to exactly look like. And the Falcons this year, they're better than their record says they are. It's because they couldn't close out those early season games, but it's a team that could very easily be near or at or above 500 based on those close games that they didn't take advantage of. So I like the Falcons plus five and a half. I, I don't know. I, I think this is a good letdown spot for the saints. They've been rolling divisional opponent coming off of a bye closer, closer than people think it is. I could even see the Falcons taking it outright. I would have done me. Wouldn't stop. That's why I didn't take New Orleans in uh, Survivor Pool this week because I think the Falcons could win. I'd actually love the pick if Breeze was playing. I think Sean Payton is such a good coach because it's Winston and Hill. His game plan will be so good. I think it'll take a week. I think that'll take a week to really kind of show itself where they're going to have to work out some kinks this week and then next week because they they said Breeze is probably going to be three weeks or so. Yeah. So next week and the week after, once they kind of have more cohesion as a unit, then I think it'll look better. Look, I, I picked the Falcons too. The way they've been playing under Raheem Morris has been great. And this is the time of the year really where they start clicking. So mm-hmm. I think it's the right side. My number two, we talked about a little bit ago. I like Houston plus two against New England. 
Remember, New England should have lost to the Jets two weeks ago. It took a monsoon and everybody telling them how bad they were and Belichick at home for them to beat the Ravens. They were two-point underdogs at the start of last week. Now they're two-point favorites. Houston's not very good, but because this game is at home, it's indoors. You don't have to worry about the weather. Um, and I think Deshaun Watson will, will pick their pass defense apart. Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, Randall Cobb. Under Romeo Cornell, they've, they've been pretty good. They're still losing games, but they're much more competitive than they were under Bill O'Brien. I think the Texans are the right side here at home, plus two. TJ, my number one pick last week was Coastal Carolina, and the game got canceled. So they ended up getting a bye week they didn't think they were going to get, and they're going up against Appalachian State in the biggest game of the year in that conference. The winner of this game is going to win the conference. Appalachian State, I don't know how this was. I got this personally at three and a half when it opened. Don't know how it opened at that number. Don't know why it's still only at five and a half. I could be dead wrong, but Coastal Carolina has been tremendous. They're coming off a bye that they didn't think they were going to have, but they did have. And Appalachia State lost their starting quarterback in their last game, which was a barely squeaked out 17-13 win over Georgia State. So Appalachia State has been in closer games. They lost their starting quarterback. This is going to be their first time playing a game without their starting quarterback. Coastal Carolina, They've been elite all season long. They're not quite in the conversation of like BYU, Cincinnati, but they have a very good chance of going undefeated as a group of five team themselves, highly ranked. They've been playing really well, both sides of the ball. I've watched all their games this season because they're so fun. We talked about it last week. Jenks loves them too. Um, I I love that team. I thought this line was going to come out at like seven because Coastal's home off an extra week off that they didn't think they were going to have. They've been dominating teams. And again, starting quarterback out for App State, which is also why I think this is kind of fishy. And I was maybe somewhat hesitant. He might play. He's questionable, Zach Thomas. He's, oh, I he's saw that he was out. Either way, either way, love Coastal in this spot. I personally got him at three and a half. If anybody else was lucky enough to jump on it early, good for us. But now it's at five and a half. You see with that line movement, you know which way this is going. Uh, I really like Coastal minus five and a half. I'm not happy with college game day that they didn't go to this game. You go to Bedlam. I mean, that's boring. They got, (laughs) they got coastal Carolina and Liberty in the first week of December. Liberty's at NC state though, this week and they're underdogs. So I think game day is hoping that Liberty and coastal meet as undefeated. And then hopefully they'll be down there in Myrtle beach, but coastal, if you haven't seen them play tune in, cause they are really, really good. My number one pick, Joe Indianapolis minus one and a half against green Bay. Look, I think Green Bay, we still all have this notion of the team we saw the first month of the season. But if you watch them recently, they got blown out by Tampa. They lost at home to Minnesota. They barely squeaked by the Jags, and they beat up on the JV 49ers team, or the 39ers, as you like to call them, because they're so banged up. Indianapolis, too, is the perfect team to beat them because they run the football, and that's what's been killing the Green Green Bay. They have a great secondary, a good pass defense. You can't stop Devontae Adams, but I think they'll contain him as good as anybody has been able to. And it's just a good spot. I think the Colts found something against Tennessee last week. They know the division is theirs for the taking. Um, and they're 3-0 against the NFC North this year. And I always look at that, how teams are doing against other teams. They beat Minnesota. They beat Chicago. They beat Detroit. I think they're going to beat Green Bay. I like yeah. Indy minus I'm actually, one and a half. I, I actually thought about putting Green Bay at like number four, number five for me as a, as a road dog. I don't think in the same way that the, that Green Bay has kind of wavered again lately. Um, 
that score wasn't really indicative of the Colts Titans game. They got a free touchdown because of a guy who was driving FedEx two days ago, shanked a punt 12 <laughs> yards, and then they got the block punt return touchdown. They lost at home to the Ravens. They beat up on the Lions, sure. Then they had to overcome a three-touchdown deficit the last time they were home before that against the Bengals. They lost to the Browns. They barely beat the Bears. They're another team that has, I don't think, played as well as the record actually kind of indicates. And I think the Packers, like I was saying with Russell Wilson, now, right around now, around Thanksgiving, that's when Aaron Rodgers also kicks his game up a few notches. And I think after the couple, last couple of games they've had, the Packers were, all right, they barely beat the Jags, who were also aided by a punt return touchdown, and that game was probably a double-digit game. It should have been beat up on the Niners, lost to the Vikings. I think this is a spot to kind of remind people of who and what they are. Uh, so I, I really do like the Packers in this case. But I didn't feel confident enough to, to make it a top five. So. so, yeah, that's our top five. Joe likes Browns, Eagles under 49, Georgia Southern Army over 41. Washington minus point and a half against the Bengals Falcons plus five and a half against the Saints coastal minus five and a half against App State is number one. I like UCF plus six against Cincinnati. I also like Washington Jags plus 10 Texans plus two and Colts minus one and a half. Joe, hopefully we both do better than one and four. <laughs> Last week, DJ, we, we need to start rebounding here. We rebounded in trivia after starting slow at the beginning. So we got to hey, rebound. You here. really re- you're doing a nice job. I love my question for you this week. I'll go first. The NBA draft was obviously yesterday as we record this on Thursday. And crazy stat I saw that I never thought about until somebody said this in the uh, last, let's see, six, seven, eight, nine. In the last nine drafts, there have been four players taken number one overall that have been named Anthony. Oh. Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Bennett, Anthony Davis. All right. So, does Carl, he, wait, does, does Carl Anthony Towns count? Carl Anthony is his first name, so I think they count. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Anthony. So that's what they were saying. Okay. Which is kind of wild that, that you got four Anthonys in there. So, my question for you, Joe is that there are two, four, five, six, seven players. From 2010 to 2020, we had four Anthonys and we had seven other guys. Can you name five of the seven first-round draft picks in the NBA? Okay, so in the last decade, the number one overall picks not named Anthony is the question. That is correct. Go ahead. Okay. All right, Blake Griffin. No, he was 2009. Wait, wait, which – Oh, that's right, because he missed the season, or he was out, so the rookie – his rookie of the year was after that. Oh, yep. all right, all right, all right. So after that, uh, Kyrie. One. You said four of the seven? Five of the seven. Five of the seven. Um, Andrew Wiggins. Two. Okay. Um, Sixers. Ben Simmons. Three. 30 seconds. You got 60 left. Okay. Zion. Four. Um, Just need one more. One more. Uh, 45 seconds left. Who's been number one picks? Um, Who are the teams that have had the number one picks recently? My mind's all over the place right now. Um, Kyrie. 30 seconds left. Which years am I missing? You're missing 2010, 2016, 2017. 
2016, 2017. Okay. Um, oh, my God. It's going to be someone so obvious. It's going to be someone so obvious, too. Gosh. Ten seconds. Ah, PJ. Oh, man. Are we going to get another buzzer beater? Five seconds. Three, two, one. Ah, I got nothing. All right, Joe. In 2010 was John Wall. Oh. 2016 was Ben Simmons. I said Ben Simmons. Did you say Ben Simmons? I did say Ben Simmons. Yeah. Sorry, it was 2017 and 2018 where the guys were missing. That's my fault. Oh, 2017 okay. was Markel Fultz. Oh, Fultz, okay. 2018 was DeAndre Ayton. I wouldn't have gotten that. I, that. I just totally blanked. Totally blanked. Ayton, All right. Fultz, and Wall. Yep. All right. PJ, a question along those similar lines. Um, went NBA as well. Okay. Uh, I want you to give me uh, – see, I, I wavered on if I wanted you to just give me the last five in a row or, like, six of the last eight. So, without knowing the question, would you rather give me the last five in a row or six of the last eight? Ooh. Let's do six for the last eight. Six of the last eight? Give me six of the last eight rookies of the year. In the NBA. The NBA. <laughs> All right. Uh, John Morant. Correct. Um. Boy, boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Uh, let's see. It was either Luca or Trey Young. It's one of them. Uh, Luca. Luca's correct. Okay. Um, let's see. Did Aiden win it his year? Did not. Okay, did not. Win. One strike. Uh, ooh, did twenty Wiggins, seconds into it. Did Wiggins or Ben Simmons win it? Man. Uh, let's see who's some other top draft picks. We had like Julia Okafor and uh, who's some booty? <laughs> Kentucky, Duke, uh, Marvin Bagley didn't win it the year he was number two. 40 seconds into it. Devin Booker? Nope. Two strikes. Donovan Mitchell. He's one. Donovan Mitchell is not one of them. What? Yeah. <laughs> Damn. All right. So yeah. six of the last eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It started with Damian Lillard, oh. Michael Carter-Williams, oh, Andrew Wiggins, Carl oh, Anthony Towns, oh, yeah. Malcolm Brogdon, mm. Ben Simmons, and then Luca and Ja. Guys, I literally just say <laughs> I should have. Yeah, Michael Carter Williams, no chance. Well, I like, here, you know what you could Robert, be happy about? No chance. You know what you could be happy about at least? I asked you the last five in a row or six of the last eight. You wouldn't have gotten either because you didn't. That's, get. That's so, so <laughs> there's your way. There's your light at the end of the tunnel. Man, yeah, rookie of the year. You know, it's just such a crapshoot because you can't remember like who was good as a rookie. Donovan Mitchell really didn't. I thought Did not for sure because he was great for Utah's rookie year. Interesting. Nice. Well, look at that. We both stay at ten and a half and nine and a half. Joe, you maintain a uh, one point lead. There we go. Well done. Thanks again for to uh, Tim Kirchin for joining us next week. The Thanksgiving college basketball stuff. Yeah. yeah, we're probably gonna shoot for a Black Friday episode next week because wow. we've you know obviously how you know sometimes it's been Thursday, sometimes it's been Friday. It's been dependent on when we get a guest. So. Right. Uh, we're going to shoot for Friday because we know everybody's going to be obviously, hopefully safely, hopefully safely doing whatever you do on Thanksgiving. Yep. Be safe, people. And, uh, and yeah, we got a lot of, we got a lot, PJ. College basketball starting 
I don't know how everything's going to work with college basketball, but it's back. It's back. We got the bubble. They announced the bubble for March Madness. If we get that far, um, there's How's that. Basketball going to work. I mean, don't it's, know. He gets it. Oh. I have no idea. I, I mean, at, on one hand, if this crossed my mind, like if, all right, you got 13 guys on a team, 14 guys on a team. So if, all right, right now it, it came out that Maryland had 15 positive tests for football. Well, 15 is your whole team if it's basketball. Right. So in a way, is it better? Because, all right, all 15 had it, and now you're probably good for the rest of the season. True. Whereas in football, you could have 15 of the 90, then three weeks later, it's a different 15. So you can have multiple outbreaks. So I don't know. I got no idea. Point. That's what happened to LSU. They got two different outbreaks, two different times. Yeah, we I have, we have no idea. And they, didn't want, they didn't want some of this. They didn't want the right time. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. We'll for anybody what... listening, instead of watching it on YouTube, he panned his camera to his uh, <laughs> his Alabama thing behind him. But that's I'm pretty sure that's not what it was. <laughs> yeah, probably not. I hope, uh, but, I hope uh, those guys are there, there is golf this week. We didn't mention it earlier when we were talking about the Masters. I'm so RSM. mad. Did you, did, you, did, you, did you have a pick for the RSM or not even? Uh, Terrell Hatton. would I, I went with I went shock with Webb just because okay. he he's been top ten for the last eight times here. He lost in a playoff last year. He was in third the year before, and he came quietly in the top ten at the Masters, so he's in good form. So I went with Webb. It was it was chalk, but it was uh, it was plus eight fifty chalk, so it's still value. So I'm so I mad. I set my golf DraftKings lineup every week, and I set it on Tuesday, and I didn't check it, and one of the dudes I had in there is out. So I'm already out. So I'm not even. Ah. I know it's, it's you're done. Well, I'm done though. <laughs> this is like we said, we got, we got spoiled with the masters last week, but now it's back to just, you know, eh, the in-between run of the mill, not great fields. So none of the top. Exactly. exactly. But we got football and college basketball to carry us to. And PJ, Augusta. before we know it, it's going to, I mean, we're going to have NBA again. And NBA and NHL. They haven't announced yet. Right? They haven't announced yet. Probably going to be about new Year's. So I know. NBA is a month away. That's ridiculous. That's that's, and that's why, you know, this was something I, I forgot to mention earlier. Uh, real quick before we sign off um, this year, good luck handicapping the rookie of the year race, because <laughs> this might be a year where you take a flyer. If you want to just throw a dart at someone with great value, because they have 30 days, there's no summer league. There's no off season workouts. They start, they report for training camp in like two weeks. So they have two weeks to figure out their arrangements right. and camp and they're playing. So Plus, I think, if the favorites like Anthony Edwards gets COVID, I mean, he's done. If oh, he's forget, I mean, weeks, forget yeah. all that stuff right, even. Right. Just, just from a sheer basketball perspective, right. they got to get in, get integrated in three weeks. That's it. And that's not going to look pretty. So it, it's going to be really tough. Even a guy like just, you know, obviously Homer here, my mind goes to Jalen Smith. Like even a guy like that, you got to get integrated into a different system, new teammates, young team player who you're not sure if you want to necessarily use him as a four as a five you know not necessarily sure exactly how you want to put him in there and now you got three weeks to figure it out three weeks to figure out how anthony edwards plays off of d'angelo russell and cat yeah. uh, three weeks to figure out where wiseman f- fits in there and now clay's out so lamello with the hornets they kind of sucks <laughs> like there, there's just there's so many question marks and three weeks that's inc- it's crazy it's crazy there's such a disadvantage this year. And that's another thing. I think in really uh, initially people are going to look at it and say, Oh wow, this class really stunk, but we're not going to start seeing the returns on this class until next year, oh. because when they finally have a full off season and stuff, the guys haven't been playing. These guys haven't played basketball competitively in eight, nine months. And right. now you're asking them to 
play NBA basketball. The number him. four pick in the draft last night. I'm like, Patrick Williams. Where yeah. am I? Oh, he played a Florida style. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen it, you know? Like, yeah. 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 So, no, I totally know what you're saying. I know it's going to be. Well, remember, I asked you that college basketball trivia question, like, three, four weeks ago. Yeah. You had Johnny Holiday on. And you're like, yeah. PJ, I've been thinking college yeah. basketball in, like, six months. Yeah. So I feel you. I know. It's crazy. All right. Well, Joe, see you next week, episode 26. Yes, sir. All right.